Hi and welcome to the GMC Sunday podcast where our team from GMC, Gillespie Memorial Church in Dunfermline, Scotland, bring you our weekly message from the Lord. This podcast brings you a sermon series in St Paul's letter to the Ephesians, grounding ourselves in the Church of Jesus Christ. Each week our preaching team will consider Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus and the wider region of then Asia Minor and in it see one of the most contemporary letters for the church today. It's a letter filled with deep meaning, exploring the past, present and future with his great argument. Paul considers all things before the foundation of the world and then carries it on to the fullness of times, embracing in its compass all things in heaven and on earth. Ephesians sets the theological landscape for those who love Jesus in order that they will bear fruit as individuals and as the universal church. Thanks for joining us on this podcast and we hope you're both encouraged to respond to God's word and will be challenged by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before the word from God, we will lead you in a time of prayer. Still hearts, still minds, slow breathing. Let go of your weak, your concerns, your worries. For you are in the house of the Lord and his graciousness knows no bounds. Still your hearts, still your minds. Find the Lord's peace in your soul. Father, gracious and mighty God, we come before you in heartfelt thanks for all your providing and grace, for your provision in the created world and the cosmos beyond our understanding. We thank you for your wondrous beauty that sings in our ears and plays out before our eyes in the natural world, a world that shouts loudly, you mighty God are the creator, the sustainer of all. Father, forgive our desecration of your creation. Father, forgive our pillage of this world. Father, forgive our part in it and call us out each day in the small and large sins of our lives. Father, call us to righteousness and holiness. Call us to everlasting life through the Redeemer, your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For mighty God, we repent of our sins this past week, sins of thought, of word, of deed, and that we should have done and did not do. Father, forgive us and call us to righteousness and holiness. Call us into your presence that we, above all things, might know you through your word, through the scriptures, through your Son, through the presence of Holy Spirit. As we've gathered this morning, Father, bring us before your throne of grace, receive our worship, receive our thanks, and bring in us open and clear minds, with hearts set upon the gospel and a desire to serve you to the end of our days, in your will and your calling, by the power of your Holy Spirit, come upon us and this place. Holy Spirit, move among us today. Holy Spirit, come and stir our hearts. Holy Spirit, come and renew our minds in Christ. Holy Spirit, quicken our mouths to worship you, for you are our God and our King. 
For in heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit reign now and forever. And all God's people said. Amen. Following our prayer time, I hope your heart is prepared and open to receive from God's word wherever you are today. If in anything you hear from our preacher today, from God's word, or the sermon challenges you and maybe raises questions, or if you want to know more about the Christian faith and getting to know the Lord Jesus, then please get in touch via our website or through the office. Details are in our show notes. Or if you'd like to support GMC financially in our ministry for the kingdom, then offering details can also be found on the contact us page of our website, gillespiechurch.org. Now, over to our preacher. Ephesians, we've moved on, I believe, to the second bookmark. Uh, reminder, there are bookmarks in the uh, vestibule area that lay out uh, the coming week's uh, readings, the coming week's uh, sermons details. Um, so you can always read ahead in your Bibles to find uh, what's coming up and prepare yourself Um, But today we're going to be reading from uh, chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, quite a short passage. Um, But a recap, Paul, after the prayer in chapter 3 that I preached on a couple of weeks ago, has moved into a narrative now of how to live as a person saved in the knowledge and the love and grace of Jesus Christ. The underlying theme of the book of Ephesians is about the unity of God's people living as one in Jesus Christ. Last week when Maggie preached, the word of Paul was that God's people were to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, one body and one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all. Pretty clear. Oneness is important. But now Paul, as he moves through this letter, moves his call to live united as a church of Jesus Christ, and it's a call to be a holy people. And he starts to focus the readers' minds on cultivating purity, an indispensable characteristic of Christ's church. And so in chapter 4, Paul's Christians to acknowledge their new status, Christians, people of God, people of Jesus Christ, to live in this new society, to live by a new standard in their lifestyle, and that is demanded by Christ. So today's reading, short as it is, deals with a doctrinal basis of what this life looks like. Um, In the closing part of the chapter, and as we go in towards the end of Ephesians, Paul will deal with the outworking of this doctrine you're going to hear of this morning in the real lived life. He's going to give examples of what it means. So to the word of God, I'm going to read, as I say, chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. Um, Get your Bibles out, find the chapter. Uh, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Hear the word of God. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. 
But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Thanks be to God for the reading of his holy word. To his name be praise and glory. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you, Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Any of you remember that song, Three Steps to Heaven? 1960, Eddie and Bob Cochran, Eddie Cochran, when his brother wrote it. Um, I didn't know that song back then, I wasn't born. Um, But as a wee boy, I did know the Shawaddy Waddy cover from the early 1970s. It goes like this, now there are three steps to heaven. I'm not sure I agree with that, but let's see how the lyrics play out. Now there are three steps to heaven, just listen and you will plainly see as life travels on. I'm not going to sing it by the way. And as life travels on and things do go wrong, just follow steps one, two and three. Well, I can get on board with the things going wrong part in life because things indeed do go wrong in life. But let's hear what these three steps are. So the lyric goes, step one, you find a girl to love. I think that's a pretty unusual step. If your life's going wrong, the first thing you think about is finding a girl. But hey-ho. Step two, she falls in love with you. Wow. I remember back in my early life, it didn't work like that. You don't find a girl and she just fell in love with you. That. And do you notice, this is a song directed to males. Just saying, it's a bit one-sided here. And that, so that's step one, find a girl to love. Step two, she falls in love with you. Step three, you kiss her and hold her tightly. These are the steps to heaven. Um, I don't think so. And the closing line of that uh, stanza is, yeah, that sure seems like heaven to me. Well, maybe in a modern, uh, 1960s, was that modern, I suppose, uh, view of the world, but it's not the view of the world where God, Father, Son, and Spirit reside. Why do I start quoting that song? Well, as a way of showing that the world view is not always in step with a Christian worldview. They're two different things. It's also to understand how surreptitiously and easily our minds are assaulted by the ways of the world, really without us even noticing. It's interesting, often when I listen to music, I don't know lyrics. I, when I was younger, I played uh, tuba, brass. I, it's the bass line and the drums that get me. Lyrics I can do without. So, but anyway, lyrics affect people and how they think. But it's only when one comes to the Lord Jesus Christ that, as in the case of happened to St. Paul, the scales fall from our eyes metaphorically and we see the dark ways of the world, the way we used to be, are starkly contrasted with the light and the new way in which Jesus calls us to live. 
And so many of us might say, but it's just a harmless little love song from, after all, 1960s, weren't they more innocent days? Maybe, maybe not. But the lyrics are, if anything, anti-salvation and anti-God. Yes, God is love, and to love a woman wholeheartedly in the covenant of marriage is a good thing. But the steps of heaven, as stated in that song, are not the way to heaven. The first step is not to find a girl, but is to love the Lord your God with your strength, soul, heart, and mind. The second step is to love your neighbor as yourself. I believe, this is my belief, that humans have an innate understanding of fallenness. And today, more than ever, the clear evidence of the depravity of man from around the world bounces off satellites into our living rooms and onto our mobile devices. The atrocities of Hamas last weekend and the Israeli response just goes to show how depraved we are. Conflict seems to be in the human psyche. Human greed for wealth and for land and for power, alongside an ever-deepening decline of morality, all speak to that depravity of man. I personally think it's undeniable that something is out of step, out of kilter with us humans. And I wouldn't go along with some people's assertion that humans are basically good. Because that's not what God says. From Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning to the end of the Bible, there are over 170 verses or a few verses together about our depravity. In just one, Jesus says in Mark 7, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. It's not what's outside of us, it's what's within. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. The words of Jesus. And so, in this passage from Ephesians, Paul doesn't contemplate three steps to heaven. He contemplates two ways. And they aren't two ways to heaven. They go in opposite directions. With the two ways, there are two humanities, two ways of living, and two destinations. Heaven and hell. In this short passage from 4.17 to 24, Paul introduces these two paths. And he is emphatic. He insists on it in the Lord. That the futile thinking of Gentiles... But this meaning of Gentiles is not the Jewish understanding of Gentiles. When we see Gentiles more often than not, we assume it's non-Jews. Paul is talking about non-Christians, those outside of the Christian faith. And they, the way they lead their life is the wrong way of living. And so it's these two worldviews that I talked about. There's the, the general worldview. In fact, there's multiplicities of worldviews, but there is the Christian worldview, one where Christ is the head, and the others where the futility of the human mind pervades to the ruination of our lives. So what does the ruinous life look like? 
verses 18 and 19, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. There's a few steps. First one, darkened understanding. Their understanding isn't in the light of Christ, it's in the darkness of man, which alienates them from the life that God wants them to have. It alienates the person from God. Why? Because of ignorance. Ignorance of the ways of God. Ignorance of the Word of God. And why? Because of a hardness of the heart. And the consequence of all that callousness that leads to, well, the list of vices Jesus talks about. This text really is pretty, pretty negative. It's a bit of a downer for Sunday morning. And I wonder whether most people, if I went and preached this out in the Glen or on the street, I think most people would admit their lives are not futile and not lost. Because surely as humans we are not worthless when we have accomplished so much in the world. And surely not all people are as bad as Paul makes out. But Paul is not talking about worth or value of each and every human being. This passage is not about what we are worth, our abilities or our accomplishments. Because every person is valuable in the sight of God. But Paul is rather rejecting the non-Christian way of life. It's a rejection of a pagan way of living, a particular worldview that was dominant in Paul's world, and I would say still dominates our world today in politics and education, industry and business, the public and private sector, and yes, in parts of the church. Seeing the non-Christian world as negative, I don't believe is too much, I don't believe it's too absolute, because it highlights the futility, the distortion of the human condition when lived without God, in contrast with the high value placed on humanity in God by God. So it's when our hearts are hardened that darkness of understanding creeps in, sensitivity is lost, sensitivity to the righteousness of Christ to a holy way of living. So, those steps. A hardness of heart leads to darkness of the mind, then to a deadness of the soul, and then sensitivity to goodness is lost. Pagans, non-Christians, are brought under judgment of God with a finality shown in a reckless life as people lose control of their desires to sensuality, greed, and impurity. just like Jesus said. That's the bad news. That's the one way. But there is another way. The new way the Ephesians had been taught. Remember, Paul had spent time in Ephesus. He's now writing to them. In fact, Paul lays out a three-stage process. 
He talks about being taught, and it, more importantly, when you're taught to learn. Putting off the old, it's like changing your dirty rags, getting out of your work clothes, smelly, dirty, and putting on new clothes of Christ. And then third, becoming the new creation you were meant always to be. So first in verses 20 to 22, Paul makes it clear that the way he has just laid out in 18 and 19, those verses I read about the depravity, the ways of rebellion, the darkness and separation from God, he says is not the way they had been taught. He says, when you hear about Christ, you will also receive teaching in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Notice there's a change in titles there. He says, you hear about Christ. Christ, Christos, the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer. That is what convicts people of their sin, that Jesus died for them. And then he says that you receive the teaching in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. He moves from the Messiah, the Christ, to Jesus, the man, the child born of a virgin, son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. And that's what folk need to see, to hear, to understand. Because hearing about the Messiah dying for your sins is nothing without understanding the truth of the person, the man Jesus, who he is, what he has done, what he will do. That is the game changer for anyone. The word made flesh, Jesus, is unique, one of a kind. And so teaching about, teaching about him covers this. It covers his lordship, his kingdom, come and yet to come. It covers his rule and justice and his righteousness. And it also covers the moral demands of this new life when you are found to be in him. The Christ is both the substance of the teaching, is the teacher himself, and he's also the context of the teaching. He's all three. I'll say that again. Christ is both the substance of what is being taught, he's the one teaching, and he's the context of the teaching, for he is God. But when Paul says they are taught in accordance with the truth in Jesus, it claims Jesus as the topic, the entity, the whole environment of this moral teaching because he is the embodiment of truth and in that truth you can trust to be shown a new way of life. He, Jesus, is a way to different thinking, cosmic moving, mind shifted, knowledge revealing, seismic change in your attitude. When you come up against Jesus the Messiah, when your mind encounters the teachings of Jesus the man, when your soul gets nudged by the sacrificial giving of his life for yours, then there is a choice to be made. Which path? Which steps will I go on to? Where will my life lead? Knowing Jesus, coming to learn about the enormity of what he, is done, he has done, is doing and will do is just 
step one. Step two, if you take the right path, is then to change your lifestyle, your clothing. After the end of the Second World War, when millions of men were demobilized, demobbed, they were given an essential set of clothing, a demob suit. Millions were made. Uh, it might go along with a flat cap or a, a felt hat or a and a tie, a couple of shirts, a raincoat, shoes, all of this stuff. And why was it necessary? Some of these people had been fighting for years. They didn't have their own clothes anymore. But they were now back into civvy street. They were back into civilian life. They needed to change their clothing because their military clothing wasn't appropriate for coming back into civilian life. That's the kind of change Paul is alluding to. When he, put, when he writes about putting your old self, old self, actually, it literally says to put off the old man that your life was. It is like taking off the previous uniform of your sinful life and walking into the world without them because you need them no longer. But God is not expecting you to take off those sinful clothes and walk out naked into the world because when you take off your old self, your old nature, he is expecting you to put on a new set of clothes, a new nature. But what we have to remember and take a step back for a second is to understand, Paul is writing to a church here. He's writing to a people where he spent about three years. These, he's writing to people who are already Christians. He's not saying you need to do this because they should have already done it. So it's a letter of encouragement you have already put off your old self, divested yourself of your pagan ways in a decisive act of repentance when you came to Christ. And because you have already done this, you are commanded to put away all the practices of licentiousness. I can't even get that. Licentiousness, thank you. That belong to that old life. Put away the old. They're not new and fresh commands. Paul has already told them. He's writing to remind them of what they were taught. That at conversion, there was a radical change through repentance that brought the believer into a relationship and recreated themselves. A move from the fallen human to the divine Christ toward righteousness. And that's the third step a move to righteousness. And that movement requires a new spirit or attitude of your minds. Depends which version you read. This is verse 23. A new spirit attitude of your minds. But this isn't about Holy Spirit. When you read it, you might think, oh, it's about the Holy Spirit working in me. But Paul says, the renewal of the spirit of our minds. In verse 17, the pagans, he says, are walking in the futility of their minds, which are dark, alienated from God. And so this is the antithesis of that. 
that the believer is being renewed through putting off the old self, putting on the new Christ, in order that their mind is renewed in an attitude toward Christ. That attitude of righteousness, holiness would reign within. And in the closing verse, that putting on the new self, the new you in Jesus, created in the likeness of God. Created in the likeness of God. It's the language of Genesis. And on the sixth day, he created them in the image of God. We are image bearers of God, but very dark ones. But the fact remains, it is those who are reborn, those who are putting on the new self, who are in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what he calls us to. I said right at the beginning of this series in Ephesians, how many weeks ago? Eight, nine weeks ago that we are called to holiness. That's God's plan, it remains the plan, and it is the one being worked out in the presence and will come to fullness in the glory with Christ the King. It's being worked out today, but it will come when Christ comes again. There's an interdependent relationship between our experience of the new creation in Christ, coming to the Lord in repentance and faith, and the receiving of that new mind. The new creation brings the new mind. It is our new mind, understanding and growing in depth of faith in the word and revelation of God, which brings forth our new creation and all its implications. And one of those implications is that if this is true for each and every individual believer, then it is true for the church. When we are renewed in Christ as individuals, we are renewed as a church because we are the body of Christ. One church, one faith, one baptism, one Lord. And this letter is not to individuals. It is applicable, of course, on an individual level, but it's a call to the church to put off the old self. It's a call to the church to put on the new. Too many claim the title of Christian but refuse to walk the walk of the Christian life and live fully as Christ called his church to live. When we as individuals, when we as a church allow ourselves to take up the ways of the world, the ways of politics and media, of nationalism and prevailing culture, when we sign up to religious pluralism, then we cannot expect to be salt and light. We cannot be created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We can't. To conclude, today's text is addressed to Christians, but non-Christians should listen up too. Paul expects the Christian not just to have a relationship with Jesus, but a deep union with Christ. It's not about belief in, but involvement with. You don't just believe, you become involved in the church. Because the church is plan A and there is no plan B. It's Christ's church. 
This text is about conversion, putting off the old, putting on the new. But how can we put off what we desire? Paul even said in Romans, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. This is the towering figure of Paul. And many great saints through the centuries have had the same problem. We do what we do not want to do, and we do not do what we should be doing. But ultimately, it's about identity. Whose are we? It's about renouncing the self, putting off the old self in favor of being Christ, even in our frailty, even in our difficulty. And yes, it's both a one-time event of baptism or coming to Christ at membership or confirmation, but it is also our ongoing through life because the Christian life is one of both now and not yet. It's a journey of sanctification. For the Christian, the change has already occurred, it is still occurring, and will only be complete at the end of time. You have taken off the old self if you have come to Jesus as your Savior and Lord. But you'll still be doing it every day. That's how we put off our old self. And we do it because God is with us. He is the one who renews and strengthens our minds. He is the one who calls us to desire righteousness and holiness of him to come into us daily. And it's a radical call not to live like the society we inhabit. Because the more we conform to the ways of the world, the further we will get from God. Our politicians, our movie actors, our singers and songwriters, the talk show hosts, the sports stars, people of influence who have big voices think they have important things to say. Influencer. What is that even? What are they trying to influence you to do, to buy? What are they influencing you to live like? If they're not the things of God, they have no importance in the schemes of the Lord. But it is the world we live in. And so these two ways, we have to hold up side by side and make an honest assessment of the world's ways and the Christian ways. And the yardstick by which we measure it This, the Word of God, living and breathing, sharp as any two-edged sword. So many people think it's an ancient, useless piece of literature. It's living, and the church needs it to find its voice. It requires the people of God to live as the people of God are called to, and it needs to start in each and every individual. It's about living our baptism, putting off the old, Dying to sin in Jesus Christ, rising to new life in him, and putting on the new. And then doing it again, and again, and again, and again. I wonder, has the church forgotten how to do that? Let's pray.
Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in coming to you, we can put off the old and come into a new clothing. Our filthy rags are exchanged for brilliant white righteousness and holiness. Father, show us your way in our individual lives, us, us as a church here at GMC, here as we find our way to serve in our community. Bring us open hearts of love and compassion for those who are seeking, for those who aren't, if we're called to love our enemy. But before that, Lord, we must love you with our hearts, souls, and minds. Thank you for your word today. And as we close our prayer, Lord, together we cry out the words of the Lord's Prayer, saying together, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Worship Podcast from the team here at GMC. Again, if you'd like more details about who we are, what we believe and how we serve, then visit our website at gillespiechurch.org. Find us on Facebook or look back at some of the videos on our YouTube channel. Just search Gillespie Memorial Church. All inquiries can be made through the Contact Us page of our website, details in the show notes. If you'd like to support our work with a financial donation, then offerings can be made by clicking the Support Us with Stewardship icon through the Contact Us page of the website. If you like what you heard, then please share with friends and family. This has been a production of GMC, including the pastors and the tech team. All copyright remains with the producers. Today's episode was edited by Mike Weaver and the soundtrack is Up to the Mood by Low Tree. Thanks for listening and God bless.